You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. I am going to do something this morning I don't think I've ever done since I started preaching. I'm going to, in essence, preach the exact same thing this morning I preached last week. And um, I have I have reasons for that. We had decided as a team that throughout December we would we would um, you know build up to the birth of Jesus and speak each Sunday on some aspect of that season, that period of time in the Scripture. But um, I could not get away from how important. Thanksgiving is. And um, so I'm going to open this morning with um, this, the quote I actually closed, closed with last week. It's something Albert Schweitzer said. I don't usually quote Albert Schweitzer, but I think what he said is, is really important. He said, the greatest thing is to give thanks for everything. He who has learned this knows what it means to live. He's penetrated the whole mystery of life, giving thanks for everything. Um, Over the years, I've learned some things the hard way. And one of them I've learned the hard way, actually, it was probably a seven-year stretch. If anybody's got seven years to waste or to spare, pay attention. But it was what it means to be thankful and how that affects your life. And by way of, um, I guess, a, conf- a confession, I've spent a lot of time to my own embarrassment, criticizing, complaining, finding fault with situations and circumstances, with God, with other people, and a myriad of things, and it does not help. It doesn't work. Uh, I think one of the fundamental truths many, many people may never get is it's your job to make yourself happy, nobody else's job. That you think, or you may think, um, unhappiness is external, but it's internal. You may think it's external, you may think it's circumstantial, not that you don't have bad circumstances. But the key to living is managing your internal life. Because what you do is you give other people authority over how you're going to feel about things. And that's not wise. So, in the past, I spent seven years in a job I didn't like as a factory rep for a number of food service equipment lines. And I complained so much about the job until I read in a book one day something that changed my viewpoint entirely. Now, in this book... The author made the point that the children of Israel died in the wilderness in large part because of their incessant complaining. A journey that should have taken days took decades. Forty years to be exact, and that was for the ones who made it. Many of them died in the wilderness. 
And many of those people died without ever fulfilling their real destiny. And the real destiny was enter the promised land. That was their calling. It was very clear. But they had certain areas of responsibility. So I realized that my complaining was postponing God's ultimate good plan for my life. Listen, let me repeat this. I spent seven years in that job learning this one lesson. Do you think that's valuable to me? <laughs> Anything you spend seven years learning, you, you better pay attention. But here's the problem. It's not automatic. I could be grumpy before I go back to my seat this morning from this message. But here's what I told Donna. You will never hear me complain about this job again. When I saw that, I made the turn. I said, you will never hear me complain again about this job. And I didn't. Within a few short months, everything changed. God opened the way for me to be in the ministry I'd been called to for years. That was my ultimate calling. That was where my destiny lie. But until I stopped complaining, I was not ready to move forward in the plan that God had for my life. Now, here's a great question. How many are trapped in the wilderness of ingratitude? Let me say that a little bit differently. How many are trapped in a wilderness of ingratitude? Or you could say it this way. How many are trapped in a wilderness of ingratitude? How many are going in circles instead of going forward, oppressing themselves by complaining? Becoming thankful is the way out. It could spark the breakthrough you've been looking for, but it takes faith, and you must be intentional about it. You see, we read or we hear and everything, give thanks for the will. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Um, what is it? some of the other? Everything with prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known unto God with thanksgiving and the peace of God shall rule your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It goes on and on and on. And we give lip service to that, but we're functional unbelievers when it comes to living it out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. We're not, and hear this in, in um, an experiential way. We're not fully saved. I don't mean we're not going to heaven. I don't mean we're not, if you have, I don't mean that, but we're not fully saved. We're not whole yet. We're still looking at life the wrong way. So, I really tried to pound this home last week, and I'm really doing it because I need it too. This is just not something you just, oh, yeah, I got this great revelation. No, it's something you really have to give yourself to. It's something you, you should devote yourself to because you have years of the other thing working on your soul. And when you were born, you, say as an infant, I was, Andy and I were talking this morning. I said, you know, Andy, as an infant, you don't, you know, weak old baby, you don't wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning and say, pardon me, is there anyone available who 
perhaps could give me something to eat. I would be so grateful. <laughs> no, that's, that's not native-born disposition anyone has. You're yelling, you're screaming, gimme, 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 because you need it. That's the only thing you know to do. But is there one essential thing we all must have to offer us the fullest life? A specific principle that should be a core value in the life of every believer. What indispensable distinctive should characterize the life of every Christian? Is there a foundational practice that helps us experience the fullness of God's love and enjoy his presence? Is there a guiding principle that most clearly represents the heart of Jesus? And the answer to every one of those questions is yes, it's thanksgiving. It's offering thanks. It's being thankful. I call it the one essential thing. Um, I've been reading uh, Ann Voskamp's book, 1,000 Gifts. I mentioned that last week. There, there are three books counting the Bible that have changed my life. This is one of the three. The Bible and this one, I'm not going to tell you the other one until you, until you read this one. But um, um, I've read hundreds of books. I've written books. But writing those books didn't change my life, but this book has. At least it has given me the opportunity to actually implement something that will make a real functional difference to me and to those people um, around me. I call giving thanks the one essential thing. And then when you look at the, the human condition, the basic definition of humanity could be termed ingratitude, particularly some of the last two or three generations where we just think we're owed everything. We just think we're owed everything. And if we don't get it when we want it, then, you know, we're outraged and we're angry. One of the things Ann, Ann Voskamp said, hasn't there been enough outrage already? Yeah. Hasn't there been enough angry talk Hostile reactions, that doesn't help anybody. It, it makes you feel like you're a righteous person to be outraged over something happening somewhere else that you have no intentions personally of doing anything about. But that outrage feels good there for a while. Um, but when you look at the Garden of Eden, what basically happened to Adam and Eve? They lived in paradise. Say paradise paradise. They had everything. They had everything. They had each other. They, they, it's amazing to think paradise is not enough to make somebody happy. They had everything they needed, everything they wanted. God withheld one thing, gave only one requirement that they could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. And he warned them in that day you eat, you shall surely die. When Satan comes, convinces them that God was holding out on them. God gave them absolutely everything there was to have but one thing. And the devil sowed that ingratitude and they went for it. They bit. They bit. And, and, and it cost them, basically cost them 
everything. So Anne Voskamp, here's a quote. Ultimately, in his essence, Satan is an ingrate. And he seeks his, sinks his venom into the heart of Eden. Satan's sin becomes the first sin of all humanity, the sin of ingratitude. Adam and Eve are simply, painfully ungrateful for what God gave. Isn't that the catalyst of all sins? Well, she's not a theologian. You could argue some of that, but you get the point. You get the point. Adam and Eve lived in paradise until Satan tempted them to believe that even with all God had freely given them, he was withholding something from them when what he was actually doing was protecting them from something horrible. God gave them a choice. There's no love without a choice. You see, why would God even put that tree in the garden? Because there's no love without a, a choice. If you're forced, if you're a robot, that's not love. That's something else. And God wants to be loved. So there's a choice. Now, that's a little rabbit trail maybe, but one of the things we've also looked at was um, Luke 17, 12 through 19 about the 10 lepers. And there's so much in here. Let me read this to you uh, if you'd like to turn to it or look at it. It's Luke 17, verse 12. I mentioned, then as he entered, Jesus entered a certain village. There met him 10 who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests and so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And the idea under the Jewish law was if you had leprosy and you got healed, you couldn't enter back into society until a priest had proclaimed you cleansed. And so that's what Jesus said. These ten lepers come, and they said, heal us. And Jesus says, basically you're saying, demonstrate some faith by, as a leper, going to the priest to be declared cleansed. And as they went... They were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Um, all ten were cured. Only one returned to give thanks. All were cleansed. All were cured. But Jesus says only one of them was made whole. And that's such, that's such um, an important distinction to make. He said, Your faith has made you well. If Jesus attributed his being made whole to faith, then thanksgiving is a vital or an integral part of faith. Faith is incomplete without being thankful. I mentioned too, Don and I were talking about this, and I hadn't really thought about Jesus asking that question, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? And to me, in my way of thinking, which needs a little bit of redeeming, I think. 
I was thinking Jesus was upset at the nine. But Donna made this point that she didn't believe that was what the Lord was saying. She felt like what the Lord was saying was, where are the other ones I wanted to make whole? Yeah, where are the nine? I'm thinking, yeah, where are those nine? And Jesus was, no, no, he was sad. Like, where, where are the nine who could have been made whole if they had understood the role being grateful played in their, in their inner life? Jesus wanted them all to be whole, not just cured. That's so amazing. So we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to pay attention. Also in John 6, we we look at Jesus' life. Verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. And so this is one of the feedings of the multitude. When Jesus, in this case, had five loaves, what was it, five loaves and three fish? Five loaves and two fish, whatever it was. It wasn't much. But that little bit, Jesus took and gave thanks for it. So, yes, five biscuits and three sardines fed 5,000 families. Everyone had as much as they wanted. Leftover were 12 full baskets of bread and fish. So Jesus took the gift, the little boy's lunch, gave thanks for it, and what happened to it? It multiplied. I can't imagine they strong-armed that little boy out of his lunch. I believe that little boy said, here, here's my part. Here's what I can give to feed all these people. So Jesus took the gift, gave thanks for it, And it multiplied. So what if thanksgiving is a key to the multiplication of resources? Why don't we say this? Thanksgiving is a key key. to the multiplication multiplication. of my resources. And the Bible pretty well proves this out. I think life pretty well proves it out. Now, if multiplication is the key to the multiplication, I mean, if thanksgiving is the key to the multiplication of resources, what does ingratitude, criticism, grumbling, and complaining, how does that negatively affect our lives and our resources? Can it actually diminish what we have? I think about those verses in Jeremiah about um, the man who doesn't trust the Lord and makes flesh his strength. And it says, who heart, whose heart departs from the Lord. You know, if you're ungrateful, you must recognize your heart has departed from the Lord. You, you See, if, if we... Now, I'm not putting that on you, but I think that's true. But see, it's, if you can apply these things to your own life, you'll benefit from it. If you can tell yourself the truth, that being ungrateful is an aspect of of leaving the presence of the Lord if in his presence is fullness of joy and thanksgiving is the way into his gates. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. If we're grumbling, if we have a bad attitude, we must admit to ourselves at some level, if we want to get better, my heart has departed from the Lord in a 
certain way. And he says, if your heart departs from the Lord, you will be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. And see, the the thing here is that when your heart departs from the Lord, when you've left that place of making a conscious decision and practice of thanksgiving, good may come into your life, but you can't recognize it. That's what it says here. Shall not see when good comes or shall not see good when it comes. It's a heart condition. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For what shall he be like? A tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not see when the heat comes, but its leaf will be green. It will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from from yielding fruit. And Jeremiah 17. And he was the complaining prophet. He was. He was. Um, there's another part of Jeremiah where he's complaining and the Lord tells him, give it up. And then later on, he does give it up. See what we have to understand. We're in a learning process. If, if you are, um, if you are a chronically ungrateful, miserable soul this morning, you can learn how not to be. You can learn. You can make a change. Paul actually says, I have learned in whatever state I find myself to be in to be content. There's a learning curve. Now, um, let me look at Luke 22, 19 through 20, some things Jesus said. This is what we call the communion Um the church world calls it the Eucharist. And Eucharist means to give thanks. So Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, when Jesus gave that broken bread, did he realize he was giving them a connection to his own personal suffering. Are you following that? The broken bread represented what? The broken body. So Jesus inaugurates a meal celebrating, celebrating, being grateful for his personal agony. Can you see the level of thanksgiving Jesus operated in? He knew what was coming. He inaugurates a meal called communion, or the table of the Lord, or the Eucharist, and he does it in the context of thanksgiving when he offers himself to be terribly battered and bruised and killed. That's the level of thanksgiving Jesus operated. Um, With an expiration of less than 12 hours, Ann Voskamp writes, what does Jesus count is almost important. And he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And then I'm not going to go through. Yeah, why not? Philippians 4, 7. Let's, 4, 4 through 7. Let's read this. Everybody want to read this? Rejoice 
in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known unto God. And what will happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. And Paul wrote some of these letters from prison. He practiced what he preached. You know what happened to him. He was probably as miserable as any one of us has ever been. And it dawned on him that maybe Thanksgiving would make him feel better. Sure, that happened. Don't you know that happened? He wasn't some super saint. He was just another guy that met Jesus. I mean, he was a super saint, but he got to be, I mean, you know, he was another guy that met Jesus. He had to employ what he taught because of conditions he found himself in. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking the other night, matter of fact, I wrote one of these down. I've been writing down what I'm thankful for. And if I'm to be thankful, what does that say? Giving thanks always for all things. Here's some of my all things. Um, where's a really juicy negative one? I'm not, I'm thankful that I'm not the anointed miracle worker I'd hoped to be. I'm thankful that I'm not brave. I'm thankful that I'm not high energy. Now, why would I thank God for that? Because he says to. He says to. And as I've learned over the years, when you are thankful in all things, even the things that aren't good, something comes into those things and begins to release some transformation to where maybe you tap into some bravery. Maybe you tap into some more anointing. Maybe you tap into those things that you never quite got to that you had in your heart for years and years and years. Maybe he knows something we don't know. Maybe there's something about this that breaks things open in ways nothing else breaks things open and gives us access to the presence and the power and the goodness and the kindness and the disposition and the hope and the faith that is in Christ Jesus that we read about and we hear about and people on their best days on Instagram brag about but leave out the other stuff so we're mad because they're doing better than us when they just got their greatest hits out there. Let them tell the whole story on Instagram and see how that works out for them. They got days like we have days. Paul had days like we had days. Now, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. you got to find the gift. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago about Jacob. Jacob falls asleep. He's running away from his brother who wants to kill him, and the brother's got just cause. He's running away. In the middle of the wilderness, he falls asleep. He has a dream. He sees a ladder going to heaven. He sees angels ascending and descending. And when he wakes up, he says, how awesome is this place? 
No, actually, before that, he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. That was a very peculiar place. Jacob was in a very peculiar place. Do you know why it was peculiar? It was because it was the place he was in. What? Yes. Yes. That was the first day he recognized that God was everywhere. God was in this place. And then he talked about building a house. And then he talked about the gates of heaven. And he was talking about his response to this God he suddenly discovered was there. God is in this place and I didn't know it. Very peculiar place. We're all in a peculiar place. We have to discover it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't go somewhere else and find it. Well, you can, but you're just going to have to find it wherever you are. Don't shout me down. Now, when we talked about communion, we talked about the word Eucharist. And the word Eucharistio, actually, when it said Jesus gave thanks, that was just one word in a certain tense, Eucharistio, which means he gave thanks. And so when you look at that word, it's comprised primarily of the word charis, eucharistio, or eucharist. Charis means grace. You could say it means gift. But it's a derivative of the word chara, C-H-A-R-A, which means joy. So built into thanksgiving is a gift and joy. And so you could you could actually come up with a little bit um, of this idea. Find the gift, give thanks, receive joy. Find the gift, five loaves, three fishes, give thanks, see the multiplication. Gift, thanksgiving, some kind of response from heaven. See, the wonderful thing is it all starts with grace. It all starts with the gift, but you have to recognize the gift. And that's somehow, sometimes a little bit difficult because you have to look. You have to look for the gift. The Lord gave me a gift this morning on the way to church. It was a little oak leaf about that big stuck on my windshield. And When I looked at it the first time, I didn't think anything of it. But the second time I looked at it, and the way the sun was coming through, it was like it was outlined in silver. And I thought, my goodness, that's certainly pretty. You have to look for the gift. You look for the gift. You give thanks. You enter into. So we're talking about gifts. I mentioned some of these last week. What am I thankful for? I'm thankful for my blue jeans. I'm thankful that Bob Jones was my friend. I'm really thankful for stop signs and people that use them. (laughs) And for traffic lights. I was thankful for the three people that contacted me this week and told me about the things they chose to be thankful for. I'm thankful for the sound of the wind that blows through my backyard pine tree 
but the yellow birdhouse. I'm thankful that my Aunt Catherine prayed for me in college until I returned to faith. I'm thankful for soundness of mind. I'm thankful, I told you last week, for my hat. I'm thankful for my wife's laughter. I'm thankful because I have a good mechanic for my car. I mean, a good night's sleep. Toothpaste. Toothpaste. Mouthwash. Soap. Water when you turn the handle. Lights when you turn the switch. But see, we just take all this for granted. Have you ever been in a place where you turn the switch and there were no lights? You ever in a place where there's no power? Do we have to go there to be thankful for what we get? These are the gifts, and this is the practice. This is the intentional practice of thanksgiving that I think begins to ransom us from this demonic ingratitude that tries to just get its clutches on us and destroy us. No, that's no good. Uh, A good cheeseburger. Come on. Clean underwear. Clean underwear. What's, hey, have you ever seen that commercial with Samuel L. Jackson? He says, what's in your wallet? Who's seen that? What's in your wallet? Well, let me change that. What's on your list? So I wrote a poem, looking for the wonder, looking for the gift, shadows in the morning, rays of light on old porch swing, count them and be thankful. Find another level of life's meaning. God is hiding in plain sight. Just like Jacob, God was in this place, and I did not know it. Okay. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Kim Schroeder, would you please arise? We have healing teams today, people that would love to pray for you, and Kim Schroeder is our point person. So if you would, Kim will come over on this side of the auditorium with several others. And if you would like prayer for any number of things, please do come forward. We'd love to pray for you. We want, uh, we want you whole. We want you well. We want you cleansed and whole. Healed and whole. So, Father, we pray that we would be a healed, whole. Lord, invade us with thanksgiving. God, turn this switch on in us somehow. Help us. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.